From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day we bring you the most noteworthy and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find the Bloomberg PL Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as at Bloomberg.com. The conundrum baked into today's markets. You're seeing that sell-off deepen in the face of the spreading coronavirus. And yet a lot of people saying the U.S. will remain intact. It will remain immune, or relatively so, to the deepening health crisis across Asia. Joining us now to talk about exactly how to play the U.S. market amid the increasing macroeconomic uncertainty, David Dietz, President and Chief Investment Strategist at Point View Wealth Management uh, that has more than $7 billion under management. Joining us on the phone from Summit, New Jersey. I'm wondering, David, considering the fact that you have studied through the eras, classical literature, you've studied law, you've studied a whole host of things, a variety of degrees, you've worked with a lot of different people who are trying to figure out how to navigate this incredibly complicated market. What do you buy on a day like today when fear is the prevailing sentiment? Well, so I think it all goes down to your time horizon. Um, clearly, one of the big drivers today is the spread of the coronavirus. And the best way to figure out where that may be taking us is to look at these epidemics that we've had in the past, MERS, SARS, HIV, etc., over the last, let's say, uh, 40 years. And we have done that study here. And what's interesting is, other than the HIV-AIDS situation in the early 80s, the market has invariably up significantly after the first onset of these epidemics. Um, why is that? Well, typically what happens, of course, is the vaccine makers get on the, the bandwagon. And we've seen the stocks of some of these vaccine ma makers double and even triple because there is an opportunity here. Um, and, and typically the tipping point is when the World Health Organization declares an emergency because at that point it's fully discounted in the market. Now, we could be wrong here, but um, and certainly that's this is not advice to day trade it today or even next week or even uh, in February. But if you have a longer term horizon, there are some discounts for something that I don't think is going to go on forever here. So, David, some folks are looking for value in this market. One of the places they look for is the energy space. We had some disappointing numbers out of Exxon and Chevron today. What's your view of the energy space? Well, so, um, you know, I think most of the experts say that we are undergoing a shift, a transition to cleaner fuels and uh, renewable energy and so forth. But most of the experts say that's going to take decades 
to um, come into fruition. What we have seen recently, uh, energy prices uh, back in 2014 were over $100 a barrel. Now they're coming down to about 50 um, The best cure, quite frankly, for low commodity prices is low commodity prices, because who in their right mind would explore for further fuel, um, given where the situation is? So if you're a believer that things are cyclical and that sometimes a tough environment for an industry actually favors the biggest players on the block because they have can attract the best people, they have the lowest borrowing costs, most diversified operations, then maybe this is the time to uh, dip your toe into the water of some of the biggest players which have outstanding track records and are integrated across all phases of the industry, plus geographically well diversified. David, I know that one of your stock picks is Exxon, which would fall into that category. And I'm looking right now at Exxon shares that have really under performed. But at this point, uh, and this Dave Wilson, our Bloomberg Sox editor, pointed out that the dividend yield being paid out on Exxon shares now exceeds what you can get on U.S. junk bonds. How much of this is a dividend play and how much is this an appreciation play? Well, I think it ultimately could be both because uh, obviously there are players in the market that are saying this dividend won't grow. In fact, it might be uh, cut. Um, But I think that historically buying some of the biggest dividend players in the Dow has worked out well. That would be the dogs of the Dow theory. Plus, of course, we do know that Exxon is an industry giant, I think third largest revenues in the S&P 500. So, you know, there's a lot of way for, ways for them to cut costs. They announced earnings this morning. The stock is down significantly. Nevertheless, they did beat expectations in terms of the top line and the bottom line relative to what analysts were projecting. So, uh, again, uh, the other thing, of course, is, is it an Exxon specific problem or is it an industry problem? Where, given that energy prices are down 15% this month alone, I think you'd give a pass to Exxon management and look at global macroeconomic conditions. Hey, David, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you stepping on the phone with us and giving us your thoughts on the market here. David Dietz, President and Chief Investment Strategist at Point View Wealth Management, calling on the phone from lovely downtown summit new jersey we appreciate his thoughts looking at the s p right here hitting the lows of the day down 49 points that'll be 1.5 percent on the s p the dow down 466 points that's 1.6 percent decline and nasdaq uh down 122 points 1.3 percent decline so seeing some accelerating selling here as we close out the morning yeah session. david deets with some kind of a non-consensus view here that when the who uh sounds the alarm that's usually the trough or that's usually when you can start thinking about getting back in now not what other people are saying. They're looking for uh, some sort of halt in this exponential expansion of the coronavirus, which we really haven't seen yet. Oil has been falling out of bed steadily as the coronavirus spreads throughout Asia and, and frankly, uh, throughout the world. Right now, looking at uh, crude traded on the NYMEX, trading at $51.69 a barrel, the lowest since August 2019. What will it take for the prices to rise and for the fate of some of the weaker oil companies to improve. Joining us now, Regina Mayer, Global Energy Head at KPMG. Regina, can you just give us uh, first your your broad sense of the main driver behind the latest weakness in oil? So I think we're experiencing a really significant demand destruction event that's had a major impact, not just what you said that's the lowest point since August. It's down almost $12 from January 6th. The coronavirus was announced on January 20th, and we've seen almost half of that destruction 
uh, since the virus was announced. So I think this is going to be very significant, and it's only escalating. So I think it's going to get worse before it even stabilizes because we're going to see even more consumer and business activity both inside of China and inbound into China that will continue to have destructive effects on oil demand. So, Regina, when you talk to your clients, your energy clients, how are they kind of thinking about this? As you Again, as you talked about uh, demand from a damp demand equation, are they taking this seriously? Very seriously, but you know, they, they're in it for the long term, so they can't overreact to these these, uh, these weaker signals right now. We have seen in corporate results, though, that downstream and chemicals earnings are significantly down. And for Q1, we'll have an even bigger impact. Those that have extensive ties to Asia will see even more demand destruction or, or, or revenue decreases from what's happening in Asia. So definitely taking it seriously, but can't change their strategy uh, given the long-term nature of the overall process. So given your incredible experience talking with companies of all sizes within the energy sector for decades and trying to figure out the next part of, of disruption and sort of how to get ahead of that, what's your main conversation today with some of these corporate executives? Well, this one I would say, Lisa, is a bit of a black swan. I mean, I don't think that – I think we were experiencing a, almost a mini renaissance in Houston for Q4 when we saw independent producer – stock prices go up. Um, and I think because the industry and the investor community felt like, number one, they were quite a good bargain. Number two, we felt like we'd reached a bit of a floor in commodity price, right, with WTI in the uh, mid to high 50s and Brent in the mid 60s. And now look at where we are literally three weeks after the um, January 6th high that we experienced. So I, I think it's um, this one I wasn't foreseen. And I think we're going to have to figure out what that is going to mean. Capital spending levels were going up. You'll have seen Permian production surge from some of the announcements that are coming out uh, this week and next. And that excitement, I think, will die down given, given what's happening. And it's a crisis for, you know, overall the, the markets as well as the oil industry. Regina, you raise a really interesting question uh, implicit in your, in your statement that this is a black swan. How resilient are the weakest players in the energy space to something like this black swan? In other words, are we going to see a rash of bankruptcies uh, that are accelerated as a result of this? I think you're right. I don't think they're incredibly resilient, particularly the players that were hanging on by their fingernails. We've seen the smaller players are already uh, being very challenged, and I do think we'll see more bankruptcies, restructuring, calls on debt, uh, for the for the much much smaller marginal players, you've seen the larger players make pretty big announcements on significant write downs with gas positions. So if you're an investor and you're looking at the sector and you see a small player that's predominantly gas portfolio, that would not be where I would place a bet in this market. So Regina, that kind of calls into question. Do you think we'll see some more consolidation in the oil patch? Um, you know, a lot of your you have big clients, uh, medium-sized, smaller clients. Is the expectation that if it gets even tougher in the oil patch, that maybe some of the bigger companies will look to scoop up some of the, the weaker ones, the ones that maybe have a, a, a challenging capital structure? I believe so. I do think there are going to be some bargains available. There are larger players, say mid-sized players, that have really nice acreage portfolios. Uh, and decent assets that are not operating as effectively as they can be. The market, the overall 
sector would be so much more improved if we could consolidate, like the a big one that we saw last year. And I think the market would benefit, the sector would benefit. Whether or not the bid ask spreads um, come together, that's been the big that's been the big hurdle. But if we're faced with bankruptcies and restructuring, then you don't have uh, the sellers being in such a strong position to try to demand a higher price. Regina, what would it take when it comes to the spread of the coronavirus for oil prices to get a bottom or get a sense of the potential economic fallout? We have to be at a stage where we believe we've reached the tipping point. Right now, it feels like an exponential upward curve with cases and spread and fear. Until we feel like the world and China has got its arms around the virus, is stemming the tide, people are going back to work, people are flying in and out again, that's when we'll see the floor and have it stabilized. That doesn't feel like it's close right now to me, but obviously I'm speculating. So I think that's what's causing a lot more of the fear is we don't know when that tipping point uh, will be achieved. Yep. Regina, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your commentary. Regina Mayer, Global Energy Head for KPMG. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You know, everyone's talking about the coronavirus and the risk-off feel that we're having in markets today in the U.S., but I want to go to another place, which is Amazon and the incredible surge that we've seen there. Apple's earnings came out, incredible earnings, even though the shares are down today a little bit on the coronavirus, leaving a question that Tom Keene raised this morning. I thought it was really salient, which is an investor who has been underweight some of these big tech names, what do they do now, given the fact that you're getting earnings that beat so dramatically? And Chris, uh, Christopher Wolf joins us now, Chief Investment Officer at First Republic Private Wealth Management with $74 billion of assets under management, normally based in San Francisco, but here with us in our interactive broker studios. And we'll get to the coronavirus issues and we'll get to macro concerns. But when it comes to big tech, which has been yeah. really the driving force of a lot of the gains in the S&P and NASDAQ over the past decade, where do people go now when they see that these earnings just keep coming? So I think there's three things. Uh, I, I do think you have to go there, meaning towards the technology space, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, we're in an age of hyper-aggregation. Technology enables that, kind of the reach that the internet has, et cetera. You can buy, I think, anything you want almost on Amazon at this point. I mean, you're basically stealing share, and that hyper-aggregation function driven by instantaneous everywhere communication is one key piece of what technology provides and kind of why it's very hard to stop. Number two, you're in an era where kind of the public markets have been increasingly dominated by machines. Machine trading, they kind of simply follow rules. I'm greatly simplifying it, but if it was up yesterday or earnings beat or whatever, just buy. And I think you get that kind of rule following mentality, particularly as the market is starting to separate by segners with this sectors with this big external influence called coronavirus, which I, I hope we get to. I think the last piece of the puzzle. We will, uh, I promise. Yeah, okay. I just wanted to throw a curveball because it's a question that's on my mind. So I think you got to go there. Anyway, last piece of the puzzle on the tech side is that it is the one place where there is growth. The thing that's scarce in this world is growth. So there's an old maxim in the uh, equities and kind of more broadly markets is you buy what's scarce, growth is the scarce thing. There's a lot of cheap stuff, as we can see, in energy and uh, other parts of the market, but it's really hard to find true growth these days, and it's still in tech. All right, so we're seeing a 
Sell off in the uh, S&P of uh, a little more than 1% today. Mm -hmm. The Dow off 1.3% today, yeah. presumably on uh, growing concerns about the coronavirus. Aside, even given the t today's sell off, are you concerned at all that the markets maybe been a little too sanguine about the potential risk to economic growth coming from this virus coming out of China? I think the level of uncertainty around the policy response. So we've seen some of it. Uh, so border closings, for example, uh, shutdown of flights. Uh, you've just seen some recent announcements about uh, airlines in the U.S. Uh, cutting the flights. You know, the challenge there is twofold. It's not just the people traveling. It's the goods that move in the bellies of the planes, for example. And including uh, when they're talking about shutting ports, moving lots of goods back and forth. So we haven't seen a lot of that just yet. Um, there's some good data, or at least some data historically, that suggests that um, markets kind of tumble until we see a peak in the number of cases and the policy response gets really strong. At that point, there's some confidence that this is under control or in contained in some way. And I don't mean to be glib, but that's how financial markets tend to respond to things. So am I worried? Not just yet. Number one, U.S. economy is a giant place. It's really hard to uh, damage the battleship. Number two, we're pretty closed. You know, more or less, we trade with ourselves only about 6%, 7% GDP is a net basis at export import. And I'm greatly simplifying the numbers. I think number three, you know, we're in a place where um, this has started in China and some immediate actions have taken place. The World Health Organization actually praised uh, China's efforts immediately. And in some ways, uh, that may help limit the spread. So I think the overreaction here now, back to my point, and I'll stop on this, has something to do with the machines. Things have been down a couple of days. You have an outside event, a coronavirus. And hey, if it's down yesterday, why not sell today? All right. Blame the machines. That said, I, I do <laughs> I'm going to start say, there. There's other things, but I mean, I'm going to start but, but, there. But you could say, you know, that's that's sort of what's driving the action here. Yeah. If your thesis is right, though, and the U.S. is an economy that can keep chugging along and is relatively immune to the scare that's weakening growth and expected to continue to weaken growth throughout Asia and beyond, why is the Russell 2000 underperforming large caps? Why are we seeing a loss of 2.4% on the companies that are most leveraged to the U.S. economy while large multinational companies are outperforming? So I think there's two reasons for that. Um, and, and look, there's, it remains to be seen a lot about the coronavirus and its spread is not understood yet. And if it follows other patterns, it is coming here in the U.S. and we do have to be thoughtful about it. But at least with respect to markets, two things matter a lot. One, liquidity. There's a lot more in the big stocks than there is in the little stocks. Um, and two, the financial position of many of these companies. So if you watch a lot of the data on the Russell 2000, you know that the debt to EBITDA numbers are out of control. The debt burden in small companies these days is four times what it is in the large companies. Financially, they are way more susceptible to just tiny changes in their revenue line. So even if we get you know, small effects in the U.S., they could be exaggerated by how much leverage is in the small cap space these days. So if I were thinking about the fundamentals and wanted quality, I'd want a better balance sheet. I'd want uh, some way to manage, um, uh, kind of subsidize the costs associated with all this. And I wouldn't want to have all that leverage uh, if there were some risk to my top line. So I think that can tie back to why there's another performance. So what are your clients saying to you right now? Are they bringing up the coronavirus and what it means for global economic growth? Or are they just saying... I, you know, I, I need to I need to be in this market. You know, we published a piece earlier this week, and it's kind of tied uh, to something we wrote uh, the end of uh, 2018 and carried through 2019. It didn't look all that great because 2019 was up so much, but it said we're entering an era where it's time, uh, given kind of all the dynamics that we've just talked about, uh, to be more thoughtful about managing risk, diversify the portfolios more, we're comfortable, hold a little bit more cash. Um, and what we tried to key off on our recent piece for this coronavirus is there's a lot of unknowns at this point. There may be a trading dip that we get out of this, but I think our view 
view is that there's a lot of things related to the growth story that not only could coronavirus hit, but other things could hit that we want to be a little bit more cautious in this low, slow, central bank, free money dominated world. What's your time frame of for investments? Typically, we look at a minimum of two years. We're not really a trading house. Uh, you know, most private clients, that's the folks that we manage money for, uh, look over a longer time frame. although they are sensitive to the news of the day. All right, so if it's a two-year time horizon, when does the coronavirus disruption end up becoming a trading opportunity on some level with that longer-term horizon in, in mind? So I, I really hate to refer to old maxims, but sometimes they're very valuable to anchor the context. And um, markets stop panicking when policymakers start panicking is one that uh, kind of goes around. And I don't know that we've seen full-blown policy panic, like shut everything down. But, but We're what's, what's getting the there. trade, though? Uh, I think you're going to go right back to the places that are scarce. You're going to go right back to the technology, right back to the growth stories uh, that have come under pressure with this. And I think, you know, tech has actually held up pretty well year to date. If you look at the numbers, uh, the growth stories that were requiring China, Japan, and basically Asia to grow strongly are all under the most duress. They probably have the most rebound potential, although longer term, I don't think we're as, um, as positive on the hyper aggregation stories. I mean, on those as we are on hyper aggregation. Christopher Wolf, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your okay. commentary. Chris Wolf is Chief Investment Officer for First Republic, uh, private wealth management based in San Francisco, but joining us here in our Bloomberg uh, Interactive Broker Studio. It'd be interesting to see, I mean, we're off, you know, more than 1% here on the S&P. Is this a buy on the dip again, Lisa? This isn't a dip, okay? This is not a dip? This is, this is not a dip? This is okay. not a dip. This is, this, is, this is normal market action, right? I mean, this is not uh, something where you can look at it and say, wow, this is just absolute fear. I mean, the Dow, you're seeing uh, more of decline, and the S&P, sure, it's down more than and 1%. And then the Russell. So we'll bring that up with Dave Wilson coming oh, up. And you better you believe we're going to bring that up with him. Will. No, but, but to me, it raises it raises a really interesting question. I think Tom Keene raised it this morning, and I thought it was really important, which is how, many, how much of the gains are gone, right? And how much can you sort of believe in the growth stories if the global growth isn't going to happen? And I think that that's sort of a bigger question that remains to be seen as the coronavirus plays itself out and people look at the fundamentals. My other favorite person always to speak with is Karen Eubelhart, and she joins us here in our interactive broker studios, uh, senior industrials analyst. Love having her perspective with respect to Caterpillar in particular. Uh, coming out today with weaker than expected projections, the shares now down 9.2% on the year, including reinvested dividends. Karen, how much of the weakness that they are foretelling has to do with the coronavirus versus just a general slowdown that we're seeing in the industrial sector that continues? I think that was just another shoe. Um, Cat has about three to five percent sales in China, uh, so that will—that's actually doing okay now. But they're they're concerned about that. Uh, it's just global growth is slow everywhere, and it's not coming back. And I think it's really interesting a that they came out so below consensus in EPS outlook, and also the range is so wide. They don't know. They said it's reflecting uncertainty. They had a hundred a dollar fifty range from top end to low end of of estimate, and that's really that's wide. So they've got exposure to the energy businesses, right? Yes. So how's that business? That's got to be challenged. Uh, well, their ENT business was energy and transportation. The piece of it that is oil service is doing poorly, but they have other stuff that's downstream and midstream that's holding up okay, and, and the transportation business is okay. So that's only moderately down. Mining is falling apart because industrial commodities, uh, and that had had a mini recovery, and now that's back down. Yep. And construction is the incremental worse. They're, the North American construction, they're much more worse. Uh, concerned about. 
I want to pick up on that, though. And this is sort of one of the fundamental questions that I think a lot of people will be parsing through. How much the weakness that we're seeing, particularly in industrials, and I'm looking at industrials metals, absolutely getting pummeled over on the London Metals Exchange. How much of this is due to the coronavirus? How much is due to what we've seen, which is just a broader slowdown, particularly with this with this sector? I think what's ha- happening at least this week, I think there is panic about the virus. I mean, because if you sit back, you can get yourself pretty worked up. I mean, if China stops production just because that people can't go to the plant that could be a big number for a lot of these a lot of these companies i mean the ex i mean and and then they're all lowering expectations honeywell did a very wide range on their eps too they never do that people are concerned about that's like the incremental thing that they can't put their arms around yet so they got to make a big wide range how about trade we got the phase one deal are the ceos and that you talk to in industrial America, are they still saying this is still an issue for us? Yeah. I mean, they, I don't think they make much of that. They're happy that it's a step forward, that it's not really going to change the trend line in any big way. Um, I think they're more concerned about the, just the, the global growth outlook. Any bright spots? Uh, well, aviation was the bright spot, and uh, now, you know, we had Max. Okay, nobody, people weren't completely worried about that because that's going to come back. But now you got the virus, you know, and Honeywell said they're already seeing it in aftermarket parts, that um, the volume of travel is slowing, and that's how they make money. That's how they make money. Um, airline, ma- airline traffic slows. They sell less parts. You know, it's so interesting, Paul. I was looking at how Chinese travelers uh, really account for such a huge proportion of overall travel, of overall uh, luxury spending, yeah. and just how much of a disproportionate hit to these sectors uh, there has been because of what's been going on. Just dramatic. Yeah, I mean, they, they move the needle on everything. And, you know, just, you know, incrementally a few stay home. And But it's the flights are already slowing so dramatically that that, you know, the good news about the max slowing was, oh, we're, we were flying older planes. That's good for parts, right? right. Well, now that one's gone. So the bright <laughs> spot is hard. Here's the bright spot. They're, they're, they're managing The bright spot things, is there is none. <laughs> managing, they're executing very well. Like, like you know, in a very bad situation. Cat's incre- incremental margins were very good. Um, you know, so Honeywell these always big companies together. can cut back on their expenses and pretty quickly? And they have, and they didn't bring the costs back, and they have more flexible cost structures. That's the good news. How's the, how's the American farmer doing? Uh, not not well at all. Right. Um, but they're gonna China. One thing China is gonna do, and they can do it rather quickly, is buy more okay. soybeans. So it'll go from a bad bad situation to just a crappy situation. <laughs> okay. You know, but it's not. Great. That's a CFA uh, term there. <laughs> term, the crappy, right. th- okay, Karen Ubelhart, thanks so much for joining us. We always like chatting with you to get a, a sense of what's going on in industrial America. Uh, Karen's a senior industrials analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence, joining us here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Disappointing numbers again uh, out of Caterpillar today. The stock down one point five percent today and as uh, Lisa mentioned down about 9.8% for the year up just slightly if you look at it on a trailing 12 months up about 3% really trailing uh, the market here is concerns about end user demand and the company was for, uh, forecasting in their uh, press release end user demand seemed to be down four to nine percent this year for caterpillar so that gives you a sense of some of the the, the demand or the lack of demand uh from industrials uh, across the world and that is clearly a global company is caterpillar thanks for listening to the bloomberg pnl podcast you can subscribe and listen to interviews at apple podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer i'm paul sweeney i'm on twitter at pt sweeney i'm lisa abramowitz i'm on twitter at lisa abramowitz one before the podcast you can always catch us worldwide on bloomberg radio the countdown has begun from may 14th to 16th 
a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.